Well, before you're seated, let's go ahead and pray. And we'll spend a moment in prayer this evening. Father, we thank you for tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for your gift of grace to us. That in salvation and through Christ, we know that the battle belongs to you. Lord, we go through many things. And we know we feel overwhelmed at times. Even as followers of Christ, we know that we feel as though everything's against us, Lord, at times in our life. And, Lord, we live in a world and in a culture that is very opposed to the things of God. And sometimes going to work can feel like a battle. Going to school, for those of uh, the students here that are in public school, it feels like a battle to just go to school and live out your faith. I'm so thankful, Lord, that we can trust you, that you are working in and through all those situations. Lord, that we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We can trust in you to bring about just your glory, and we get to be used of you in that way. Father, again, we thank you for this evening. We pray that we would just have open hearts and open minds as we go into your word, and that you would just really encourage our hearts and minds in all that you have for us. We thank you again for today to worship you this evening, to worship you this evening. Lord, what a blessing it is, and we'll give you all the praise and glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And so before we dive into our devotion this evening, I do want to share just a couple announcements um, and then we'll kind of open up in just a moment here and kind of tell you what we're doing. So one big thing you want to make sure you're aware of, uh, again, uh, the uh, insert in the bulletin earlier today with the open houses, please make sure you make note of those. Um, again, we would love to see a lot of church involvement in those to be able to encourage those graduates and what the Lord has next for them. Uh, we also have our Mother's Day breakfast going on next Sunday morning at 9 to 10. Any children that want to help, 8.30, try to be here by 8.30. Um, breakfast will be a little bit simpler than what we've done in the past. We found that bacon and elementary age kids didn't go together real well. We found that that was a little intimidating for some of our younger ones. Um, and so we're going to do a little bit simpler breakfast. And so, uh, so excited for that. Um, also, we do have enough adult help. And so if you are a parent or a grandparent and you're bringing your child, um, last time we did this, we had a lot of adults coming in the kitchen. And to be honest, it really kind of added to the chaos. Um, and so again, we're trying to work around people. So uh, there will be adults there. Our junior church leaders will be there. Um, another uh, gentleman in the church will be helping as well. And so we will have plenty of help with that. Um, and so we're excited for that. And again, we'll try to always give age-appropriate things to do. Okay, so we're going to try to make sure that the younger ones have something to do and the older ones as well, but there will be a limited number of things to do. So we may take turns on things and encourage the kids to share that as well. All right. Um, also want to let you know with next week being Mother's Day weekend and celebrating mom, uh, we are going to be having an opportunity for you to get pictures taken. Um, so we'll have something set up right here in the fellowship hall where um, as a family, you can get a picture taken, individuals with the kids, whatever you want to do, that'll be available. And again, to be able to be accessed digitally um, and there's no charge in that. And a great time to encourage people to come out as they have story time coming up with Miss Avi. That's going to be May 21st. Last time went awesome. Had lots of kids in there. So that was really cool to see. Um, I got a little concerned when I walked in. I just saw Avi and a bunch of kids. And I was like, I don't know if she knows what she signed up for. Um, this might get crazy real quick, but it did great. It was awesome. So yeah, the kids were great. Um, so we got communion coming up here in a couple of weeks. And then also just a reminder about our missionaries, the bombs, uh, Ben and Jody bomb will be with us on May 28th. And so don't forget about that. Also, um, father's day, uh, we will have the layers with us in June. Uh, ben and Sarah Layer, our missionaries to Poland, will be with us on that Sunday morning. So you don't want to miss that either. So make note of that. Um, also, just quickly before we dive into our devotion, a couple things to be praying on. Uh, we mentioned some of this on Wednesday night. We mentioned it yesterday in our prayer meeting or our prayer breakfast. Um, some of you know uh, some of these names that I'm going to say. Some of you don't. That's fine. But there's some individuals that used to attend church here a few years ago um, who recently, as in this last week, um, and even as recent as yesterday, went home to be with the Lord. Um, so Rose Govitz used to attend our church for many years. Um, she went home to be with the Lord this last week. Um, Jim Simons, many of you remember Jim and Carrie Simons, um, he went home to be with the Lord as well this last week. And so um, I believe Rose's funeral is tomorrow. The funeral for her is tomorrow, I believe. And I think um, Jim's might be on Wednesday, if I'm remembering right. So um, just individuals that were a part of our church. Um, involved in our church, served in our church. Jim was actually a deacon in our church for a little while. And so just be praying for the Simons family, for the Govitz family. Um, if you guys know Benny, who attends church here, Rose Govitz would be his cousin. And so be praying for the family there. 
Um, and also, we mentioned Doug Solman, another gentleman that attended church here a few years ago, passed away as well this last week. And so we'll be praying for those families. All right. Well, we're going to dive into the word. And so a couple things. We do have a handout for you guys. And so if I can get a couple volunteers, maybe two volunteers, like to hand out some papers. Renee and one more. Who wants to do that? Danielle. Oh, she beat you, obviously. She was like hand raised, up, ready to go. Um, we do have clipboards up here as well and pens. And everyone will need something to probably write with. Um, hopefully I have enough. I don't know that I do have enough handouts. So if we run out, we'll make some more. We have clipboards up here. If anybody wants a clipboard to write on, um, you can just come up and get one. So just so you know, if you need that, you can grab that. So we'll give you a few minutes to get all situated here. Did they nominate you to come get all the clipboards for everybody? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you grab a coloring one. Yeah, absolutely. No. <laughs> See, that's what I would do. I'd be like, I'm grabbing one for myself. No, he's got a couple there. Anyone else need any clipboards? Do we have enough handouts? Sweet. Okay. No, that's cool. Oh, they're sharing. Oh, did you get one for yourself? Oh, okay. She just assumed you weren't going to take notes, TJ. That's hardcore, man. That's not very loving. What? All right. So tonight, and if you were with us, um, I think we did this in, maybe it started in like August. That sounds right. Um, and we spent a couple of months uh, doing this on Sunday night. And so what we did was we started doing just some different passages, and then we did a study through Psalms, different Psalms, and we did it this way. So what you have is a printout of John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And so what we did for a couple months there, um, and we're going to kind of do it again for a few weeks. And again, as I said last time, I don't know how long we'll do this for. We always kind of just go off the Lord's lead and uh, we'll do different passages like this. And so one of the things that I love doing is when I'm studying through a passage, and I don't always do this as far as printing it off and actually writing out all of this. Um, but in our heads, we usually do some of these things or we'll at least make notes in our minds of these things. But I enjoy printing off a passage and then actually just making tons of observations about the passage, making tons of notes all over the paper. Um, and so this is kind of, this is my copy. So you can kind of see how my brain works. Pretty chaotic, pretty all over the place. Um, but we want to encourage you to basically take some time. We're going to give you some time in just a little bit, but I'm going to explain a little bit of what we're doing and then we'll give you time to do it. And then we'll come back and start walking through the text. Okay. Um, and so what we're going to do is work through this passage verse by verse and kind of as the Lord leads, want to grow in our understanding of this text, grow in the understanding of application, not only what it means, but how we can apply it to our lives. And so I want to do a quick reminder. For some of you, this is very, very familiar. Over the years, I've referenced this simple way to do Bible study, um, and it's called OIA. So OIA. Um, this is something that I kind of came across in college. Sandra used this uh, when she was in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I like to tell people, she always says, I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. She was actually the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for Eastern Michigan University's chapter. And she never says that. I like to take any opportunity I can to kind of throw that out there because that's pretty cool to me. Um, but um, she's very humble like that. I'm like, tell people. It's great. Let them think you're awesome. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so OIA is simply this, observation, interpretation, application. So every time we come to a text in Scripture, a verse of scripture, we're going to do that process. We're going to make observations. We're going to ask the question, what does it mean? And then we're going to apply the meaning of the text. And so when we're looking to make observations about the text, so when you read through this text in just a little bit, you're going to make observations. So the things you're looking for are places, names, um, who's speaking to who, if there's a conversation, who's addressing who, what's the response, um, any references to other scriptures, so if there's a quote from an Old Testament passage or somebody references another situation in Scripture, are there themes in the text that you're reading? Sometimes you'll come across a, a, a text. In order to get the idea of what we're talking about, you'll take a bigger step back and you'll look at the whole book. And we kind of did that this morning with Romans chapter 12. We were in chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, but I wanted to kind of take a step back. And we looked at the whole theme of Romans to get a better understanding of what chapter 12 was dealing with. And so we're doing that. Um, are there any commands given in the text? 
Are there things that are, you have to do this, or you're asked or told to do that? Are there suggestions, right? That's also something that happens in scripture. It's not a command, but it's like saying, this is wise to do it this way. It's not a command, but if you were smart, you'd want to do it this way. So we're basically asking the question and observations, what is the text or what is the author saying? So what is this text saying? What is this author who wrote this saying? So quick observation, quick observation. We're in John chapter one. So one of the things you can do to kind of summarize uh, observations, you can ask audience and author, audience and author. Those are a great two questions to kind of think about to get you an understanding. So who is the author of the gospel of John? Good, good job. John, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I love those. Uh, it's like the Jesus answer, right? Like I can just throw that out there and probably be right. So this is John. But who is this John that wrote the gospel of John? One of the apostles, right? Who is his brother? Right, James. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Okay. What else do we know about the apostle John? Quick observations you might make. Now, you don't need to write all these down, but in your mind you're doing this, right? What are some quick observations we can know about this John? He's the beloved, right? What was that, Chrissy? He was very close to Jesus, right? Okay. Yep. The mom came and said, hey, give my boys special treatment. Okay. And I don't know that mom was prompted by the boys to do that, but maybe, right? These are also the two individuals that wanted to call down fire upon the Samaritan village. Okay. So what, do we, what can we gather about John's demeanor, John's personality? Like what, what can we gather about that from John as a person based on what, what we know about him? He was passionate, right? He was zealous. Remember the example where Jesus was teaching and he said, hey, we saw some people doing some stuff in your name. We told them to stop because they weren't of our group. And he says, no, no, if they're not against you, they're for you, right? If they're not working against you, then we're all working for the same goal. Why would he tell them to stop? Because he was passionate about defending Christ. And if they're doing something wrong, he's got to tell them. Okay, he's going to call them out on that. We see that in his writings. So he writes the Gospel of John. What other New Testament letters or books does John write? Revelation and the three smaller epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right? He's a very black and white writer. It's truth or a lie. It's life or it's death. It's dark or it's light. So those are observations we're going to make. So when we get to this passage, that helps us understand why he writes the way he does. Once we have made some observations about the text, we can move into interpretation or what does this text mean? First question, what is it saying? What is it communicating? Whether we say, what is John saying? Or what is the text saying? Second question is, okay, what does that mean? How do I interpret this text? Again, we first understand the meaning as the original audience would understand the meaning. So we can't take the text and say, well, it means this to me. This is how I understand it. We've jumped the step. We went from observation to application. We're going to get to a point where we can ask, okay, how does this apply to me? But we have to first go from observation to interpretation. How did the original audience understand this text? How would they see this text? So how do we know that? Well, we study. We get things like commentaries or Bible resource materials or concordances, and we'll cross-reference and look at other passages, and we'll do that study to figure out what does this text mean? Okay, so there's some work involved here. Once we understand the original meaning, we can apply the text or ask, how do I apply this to my life? This is also where we see um, changes that we may need to make in our, to our life or our thinking. We may be convicted to do or act in some way that honors the Lord through application of the text. So first thing we do is we make observations. We, we get alone with the text. And I, I like doing it where I just print it off because I can just make all kinds of notes as I'm going. Then we'll start asking the question, okay, what does it mean? And again, remember, Scripture doesn't have many meanings. If the Bible had many meanings, if this text, just these few verses here, had many meanings, what would that make God, the author of confusion? I had a Bible professor in college that said it this way, and I didn't really agree with him at first, but the longer I've been a follower of Christ and read the Word, the more and more I agree with him. Every scripture has one meaning. 
and only one meaning. All scripture has one meaning and only one meaning, but many applications. One meaning, many applications. John 3.16. If you were to interpret the meaning of John 3.16, what is the meaning of John 3.16? That there is a God who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, and that anyone who believes in him, the son, has what? Eternal life and will not perish. That's the meaning of John 3.16. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And if you would believe in him, put your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. You will have eternal life and not perish. That's the meaning of John 3.16. However, in application, the love of God can be applied in many different seasons of our life. I may be going through a struggle or a tragedy or some kind of a difficulty, and I go to John 3.16, not so much as a salvation verse, but the love of God is applied to my situation, and I remind myself, no, he loves me that much, then he loves me enough to get me through this situation, to be with me in this moment. The meaning has not changed, but the application has changed based on where I am in my life with Christ. So I want to encourage you in that. Again, as we read through this text, we're just making observations then we're going to dive in and talk about interpretation, and then we're going to talk about how we can apply it to our lives. And again, application is very personal. So we want you to be in praying about, okay, Lord, how would this text uh, be applied to my life? So here's what we're going to do. It's 625. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. No pressure. No one's going to see this. I'm not going to test you on this. Okay, it's just between you and the Lord, just some observations and some things that you're going to note. Okay, we'll give you 10 minutes to spend in kind of making notes. You might write other Bible passages if something jumps out to you. Put in quotations, those that are talking to who, names, places, moments, those kind of things. Uh, Whatever jumps out to you, maybe something jumps out to you and encourages you in some way, make those notes. All right, then we'll come back and we'll start walking through the text together. All right, so we'll take 10 minutes. We got a little bit of music so it's not too awkwardly quiet. And we'll let you guys work through the text. All right.
You guys can go ahead and uh, finish that, whatever thought you're working on quickly. And we'll go ahead and jump into breaking the text apart. Um, First thing we'll do is we will uh, read the text kind of together. And so um, if I have a a volunteer that would like to read the text for us uh, aloud, and again, just right off the paper is fine. Uh, but somebody that would like to do that for us, and then we'll start walking through the text together. So who'd like to to read that for us? I thought Abby's hand was going up. She was like, I thought for sure. I was like, what? Come on. Who would like, oh, Terry, did I see your hand? Thank you. Okay, thank you, ma'am. So this, to me, is one of the more interesting passages in the Gospel of John. There's so much going on here. And so what we're going to do is honestly just take it one verse at a time, talk through what it is. Sometimes we'll group a couple verses together, and then we'll kind of make some notes and observations as we go through this. So I'm already going to tell you that we're not going to get through the whole text tonight, uh, which is totally fine. Just as a reminder... Next Sunday being Mother's Day, we will not have evening service, and so we'll pick this up again the week following, all right? And so, what is the, what is the main idea of what we're seeing here? What's, what's happening in this text? How would you summarize the big point of this text? Like, what's happening here? Okay. To who specifically? Two individuals? Okay, Philip and Nathaniel. So this is the, you could call it the calling, right? The, the, the calling into discipleship, Philip and Nathaniel. Now, one thing we have to note in verse 43 is that this is initiated by Christ. This calling into discipleship is initiated by Christ. The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find Philip. So we need to highlight that. Jesus found Philip. And then Jesus said to Philip, what? Follow me. So Jesus went looking for Philip. He found Philip, and he invited Philip into a relationship with himself or into discipleship. Jesus went to Galilee with the purpose of finding Philip and calling him to discipleship. Now, If you think about the Gospels, and so we're going to, again, when you're doing Bible study, when you come across a moment where you're like, wow, this seems like something Jesus tends to do often, it's always a good encouragement to step back from the text, to kind of think about, okay, what are some other instances where Jesus demonstrated the same desire to seek out individuals and for the purpose of either inviting them into the kingdom or inviting them into specifically discipleship. And so we see this happen other times. Now, We obviously understand, in a general sense, in a broad sense, he invites all of us into salvation. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So in a broad sense, we understand that's true. Whether it specifically spells out how he did that in every individual life, we know it's a truth of Scripture. That he came to seek and save us. He died on the cross for us. He loved us first. But there are some specific examples in Scripture where we read that he actually makes that known and says, I have to, like here, go there to find Philip. 
Okay? So what are some other examples, some specific examples of him doing that in the New Testament? Some other examples of him specifically either going to a region or an area or seeking out a person for the purpose of either calling them into salvation, into the kingdom, or inviting them into a discipleship type relationship. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we see that in, uh, that's actually, I jotted that down. So Luke five, or no, not Luke. Yeah. Luke five, one, that whole passage there where he goes and they're fishing and they come to the shore and he says, Hey, I'm going to use your boat, right? Peter, I'm going to get in your boat. We're going to go out. I'm going to teach. They come back after the great catch of fish. Peter falls down at his feet, says, depart from me, right? I'm a, I'm a sinful man, Lord. And Jesus says, what? I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So again, he pursued Peter. He told Peter, we're getting in your boat, Peter, right? I'm doing this with purpose, okay? What's another example we can think of of Jesus doing that in the life of someone in the New Testament? Yeah, back there, Jeff. Okay. Okay, yep. He invited him into that and that man, because he had great wealth, Chose his wealth over submission to Jesus. What's another example? Julie. Okay. Because Zacchaeus went up in the tree, but Jesus initiated the conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Matthew was one that I wrote down. Um, it actually says that in, um, so Luke five twenty seven, he calls Matthew. What else is Matthew known by? What's Matthew's other name? Levi. And so Matthew, Levi, was collecting taxes and Jesus approached him, said, hey, follow me. So Matthew did what? He got up and he followed, right? And then we read that beautiful story about how he had a celebration at his home and invited all his friends and all of that. So again, he called him out, right? Absolutely. What's another example of Jesus doing this specifically with someone's life or in someone's life? Yes. Okay. Yep, Acts chapter 9, right? Saul was on the road to Damascus. Jesus is the one that intervened in that moment, right? And he confronted Saul in that moment in the light, and he fell to the ground, the whole thing, right? Avi. Yeah, right? I must needs go to Samaria and go through Samaria. As we said this before, they would often they would go around Samaria. Jews would go around because they didn't want to travel through that Samaritan land. And so they would go around. Even though it was faster to go through, they would do the inconvenient thing and go around. But Jesus says what? No, I, I must needs go. I, I always loved when I was in college, English, at the Bible college I went to, um, somebody called the asked the professor about that, about basically grammar in the Bible and stuff like this. And he quoted that as a reference of bad grammar in the Bible. And she was not entertained. She wasn't happy about it um, because she knew what he was doing. But I always think about that verse. I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because I'm going to have a conversation with this woman, right? I'm going to go to the well. I'm going to interact with her. And this is what's going to happen. So again, a great moment there for sure. Uh, Anyone else, any other examples that come to mind? Again, in a broad sense, we know this is true. He does it in a general sense for all of us, right? You didn't come to him. He came to you and offered you salvation. You responded. Another example I wrote down um, was the healed man that was cast out of the synagogue, John 9, 1 through 12. So John 9, 1 through 12. We read this story about a man that was, was healed, the fair, or they bring him before the Pharisees. They start to challenge him and question him, asking him, who was it that healed you? They go back and forth, back and forth, and I'm summarizing, but finally the man says, why do you keep asking me so many questions? Do you want to be his disciple too? And they say, you're gone. <laughs> they kick him out of the synagogue, and then there's this beautiful story where Jesus says that Jesus went and found him, sat with him, and basically said, do you know who the Messiah is? And then revealed to him, I'm the Messiah. And he showed love to him and showed grace to him, even though the religious leaders kicked him out. Jesus went to him and sought him out. Uh, the other one I, I find, uh, again, interesting. I'm sorry, John 9 is uh, the healing of the, uh, the man at the pool of Siloam. Uh, John 9, 35 is the healing of the, of the man that was healed and kicked out of the synagogue. So John 9, 35 is the man that was healed and kicked out of the synagogue. John 9, 1 through 12 is the healing of the man at the pool of Siloam. Uh, Jesus, again, initiated all of that conversation and uh, just an amazing moment of grace there. So what do we learn from this? 
What do we learn from this? We learn that Jesus is full of compassion and he desires to initiate in these lives so that they may come to know him and so that they may follow him and surrender to him. In one case with the rich young ruler, he had a conversation with a man that he knew would not follow him. Jesus was not surprised when the man walked away sad. He, Jesus wasn't shocked like, oh, I really thought he was going to follow me. But what do we learn from that? Jesus had a conversation with him anyway. And so often we're so quick to dismiss someone as they'll never believe. They would never listen. Whether you believe that or not, go have a conversation with them. Let the spirit of God work. And then when they reject or receive, it's between them and the Lord. It's not up to me to predetermine who will or won't be or who can and can't be. We need to just go and have a conversation. In these specific cases that we talked about and many more, we see what John says in 1 John 4.10. So you can jot that reference down out to the side there. This fact that Jesus went and pursued Philip affirms the truth that John records later in 1 John 4.10, that God loved us first, and that love brought Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. So again, John reveals that to us. Also, kind of a side note here, and I hope when you're going through this, um, I would encourage you to circle or square or underline the names. So Philip, Nathaniel, these different names we see here. Um, we don't know much about Philip and Nathaniel as far as the disciples are concerned. Um, if you've never really studied it out, um, there's a great uh, book by John MacArthur called 12 Ordinary Men. And he actually does an amazing job of breaking down what we know of the disciples, kind of categorizing them and grouping them up in different groups. Um, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are kind of in that first four. Um, some people don't put Andrew in there. They just go Peter, James, and John. Um, I kind of think that Andrew was kind of there in the background. That seems to kind of be the case. Um, Philip, Bartholomew, which is we're going to talk about here, Nathaniel, um, they kind of fall in that next category of disciples. And then we get down towards the end, and there's some disciples we don't have any knowledge of except their name. Um, and so here, something interesting that some people think Philip uh, you can jot this down if you'd like, or if you want to put it with his name. Some people think that he was kind of the um, handler of like logistics. So he would take care of when they go somewhere to find room and board or to provide food. The reason they think this is when they were trying to decide how they were going to feed the 5,000. Jesus looked at Philip and said, hey, how much money do we have to feed them? How are we going to feed all these people? So some people, again, think that maybe that was how Philip served or ministered among the disciples. Um, also who found who in verse 43 again, who found who did Jesus find Philip or did Philip find Jesus in verse 43? Okay. Let's look what Philip actually says about how this encounter went. Verse 44. Go ahead. Yes. 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 Yeah. No, that's an amazing point that we don't deserve his pursuit, right? But he pursues us anyway for his glory and our blessing to come to know him one day, right? Yep. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So he comes to us, and, you know, and, but yet in our sins, we're breathing blasphemies and mm -hmm. sinning against him in any way that we possibly can, as much as he can, and that's how much he loves us. Yeah. Person, you know? Even when we're, and I love what Paul says in Romans, he doesn't say God is our enemy. We are the enemies of God. And so, again, that shows you our standing with him. So here we see, in verses 44 and 30, 45, thank you for sharing that, guys, absolutely. It says here, Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So we need to make note there. Okay, so there's a connection between Andrew and Peter. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathanael and said unto him, and this is kind of interesting, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and of the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so again, you notice here that, that Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. From Philip's point of view, 
he found Christ, not necessarily that Christ found him. At least that's how he communicates it. So the question we ask is, and, and just kind of thinking this through, between the two perspectives, who's right? Well, the answer is they both are. They're both right. From God's point of view, Jesus pursued Philip. But from Philip's point of view, when he met Christ and he was around Christ and he was invited to follow Christ, he made a choice to respond. And so it's true. Jesus found Philip and Philip responded in faith and said, I want to follow Christ. Again, Philip responded to the call of Christ of his own free will, believing in Christ by faith through grace. Yet Christ sought Philip out with the intent to call him to his discipleship. And that had he not pursued Philip, it would be impossible for Philip to find Christ. You it's not one or the other. Both have to be involved in this process. Julie. Yes. Right. Yep. And actually, that gives us a little bit of insight into Nathaniel's character as well and how much Nathaniel looked for the coming of Messiah as well. Um, again, we must also note, and we'll dive into that in just a few minutes, actually. Uh, we must also note the wonderful example of evangelism being set forth in this chapter. So not just in the passage we looked at, but in chapter one as a whole. And this is one that we can apply quickly to our own lives. So John and Andrew immediately told their brothers, James and Peter, about Christ. Here, Philip immediately tells Nathaniel, most likely a close friend or possible relative, we don't know for sure, about Christ. And Philip most likely knew Andrew and Peter. So do you see these connections that, that as soon as they came to Christ, it wasn't obligation that led them to tell somebody about Christ. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't pressure. Jesus never even said, okay, now go tell your brother about me. They just decided we have to tell someone, anyone, everyone about this Messiah. And they went to those that were closest to them. They went to their brothers or their friends, and they wanted to make sure that they understood that Jesus was the Messiah. So how do we apply that to our lives quickly? Before we even move to the rest of the passage, we can make a, a point to say when we have an encounter with Christ, when we come to know Christ as our Savior, we cannot help but tell those closest to us about him. We cannot help but want to share with them this wonderful news that they would share in it with us. Now, note here quickly, and as we're almost out of time, we'll finish up this part of it and then we'll stop right there. Philip also references in his explanation to Nathaniel, Moses in the law and the prophets. So we have two things here from the Old Testament. Uh, it says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets. Now remember, the law is not referring just to the Mosaic covenant or the law. It's referring to the five books of Moses, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then when you talk about the prophets, you're talking about major prophets, minor prophets, all of the prophets that recorded things about the Messiah. I'll give you a couple references you can jot down here that we see in just these few examples. This is not exhaustive. Okay, there's more than this, but just to give you an idea. So in the books of the law, you have obviously Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The idea of the coming one who would crush the head of the serpent. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 15 through 19. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. So there we see the coming of a prophet like Moses, but who's greater than, greater than Moses. As far as the prophets are concerned, Isaiah chapter 53 is a great uh, prophetic chapter of the coming Messiah. And so those are just a couple examples. Isaiah 53, Deuteronomy 18. In Genesis 3.15, those are just a couple examples that when Philip said to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one that's been talked about in the law and in the prophets. He's, he's come. He's here. This is what they're referring to. So that tells us something about Nathaniel. That tells us that Nathaniel had a belief and anticipation of the coming Messiah, that there would be one who would come. When John the Baptist first began his ministry, 
People asked if he was the prophet that Moses spoke of. And John's answer was no. And how does he compare himself to that prophet that was coming, that Messiah? Yeah, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. Like, that's, that's how low I am. He understood that I am not the Messiah. I am the forerunner. I'm just here to prepare the way. And there is no doubt that Philip was talking about Jesus when he said this because he gives specific location and family name. Right? Specific location and family name. He says, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Very specific point here. There was no confusion about who he was talking about. So we're going to pause here and we're going to dive in here in a couple Sunday nights. Nathaniel's response to that invitation. When you, got, and you guys read it, you made notes about it. Um, and now actually you can take this home with you. You can do even more study on it if you'd like. Um, and we'll dive into this again in uh, two Sunday nights. All right. We'll come back to it at that point. Yes, ma'am. As far as right, sure, yes, right. I I almost look at it like with the example of Andrew and John, that when they left John the Baptist and began following Christ. It seems as though within a day or two, they were talking to James and Peter about this. So I see it in that sense where, I mean, I kind of read it as though one day this happens. And because we're going to talk about the locations are very close to each other, where, where Nathaniel most likely was and where Philip was when he was called. Um, I, I kind of read it like the next day, just like if you read it, it says in one day, Jesus went and called him. I kind of read it like, well, the next day after that, he went and got Nathaniel and said, you got to come. So that's how I read it. I read it as though he was just so passionate about who Christ was, he had to go tell Nathaniel, which again implies either a very, very close relationship or, or maybe some type of relative. Right, and I believe that's for sure how it reads, but I mean, like, I wonder what happened in Philip's mind to convince him that he was the Christ, Jesus was the Christ. So, I mean, we know that there was miracles that were recorded already. There were some things that Jesus was doing a little bit. Um, but I tend to think most likely it was the testimony of John the Baptist to Andrew. Because, again, you see Philip, Andrew, and Peter are from the same area. And so I almost wonder if Philip had somewhat of a, a testimony shared with him, maybe from Andrew. Uh, if somebody was sharing something about the testimony of John the Baptist of who Jesus was, that this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Um, there was something that at least Philip was able to be encouraged in to come to understand that, okay, that's the Messiah. So he was familiar with I believe so. Right. And I think that may be why John uh, tells us that he knew Philip or he knew Peter and Andrew. So there could be a connection there as well, right. for I sure. Yep, absolutely. No, very good question, for sure. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I've heard that the only ones we know for sure that Philip John the, the follow John the Baptist would be John and Andrew, because that specifically gives us that in, in the first chapter. Um, there could be a connection there. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. And like I said, I mean, chapter one only specifically says that John and Andrew were there involved in that when Jesus was baptized. And the next thing you know, they started following Jesus and he says, Hey, what do you guys want? And he says, well, we're following you. And he says, well, I don't even have a place to go to, to bed tonight. I don't have a home. Um, so again, that we know that. So there could definitely be a connection there for sure. Absolutely. He either was a follower of John the Baptist or had a connection there. Good point. Absolutely. Any other thoughts or questions on what we've covered so far? A lot more to get into, I'm sure, but any other questions or comments? All right, good stuff. Well, let's pray, and we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for tonight. Lord, we thank you for a time that we could just honestly focus on your word, to gather around your word and to, to walk through it, Lord. And I pray this has been an encouragement to your church, a blessing to them, Lord, to begins to try to understand as we all want to understand more about your word, that we can apply it to our lives and be changed and conformed to the image of Christ. And so, Lord, uh, if, if we walk out of here tonight with 
just the simple truth that if we believe that you are the Messiah, the one who has come to save us from our sins, that we've given our lives to you and surrender, that we would then in turn believe that enough to go and share that with others, including those, maybe even especially those that are closest to us. Father, again, thank you for this example you lay forth. Thank you for the passion of those that followed you. Lord, they weren't perfect. They had many mistakes. But Lord, we thank you for their example that we could follow in that. And so Lord, go with us this week as we go our separate ways. Help us to honor you and glorify you in our conversations and our decisions daily, how we handle ourselves at home, in the community, and in the workplace. And Father, again, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.